Hello! Welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Today, we're talking about the past, present, and future of organized play in D&D. With me at the Roundtable are Joe Lestowski. Hello. And Topher Kohan. What's up, everybody? So, guys, Topher, you're new to the roundtable. Joe, you're an old face, but why don't we introduce ourselves to the crowd and let them know how long we've been playing D&D and what brings us today to the roundtable and makes us experts in a particular field. And, Joe, why don't we start with you? All right. How long have I been playing D&D? going to date me here. Uh, I want to say it was 92, maybe, uh, right around the time um, the guys I was playing with, we were in between the... AD&D and second ed D&D. Uh, been playing pretty consistently since then, more often running than uh, playing, but I still try to jump into games whenever I can. And uh, currently I am uh, a DM for the uh, D&D Encounters program at my local gaming store. Uh, I've been doing that for, I want to say since season four or five, and we're in season 17 right now. So good couple of years. I also run uh, convention games at local smaller cons whenever i have the chance nice nice and Topher, what are your credentials so i've been playing DD since the early 80s i got into it with the box um loved everything about it i then played i kind of took a hiatus i played through second edition and when this um when the the 2.5 revised editions or whatever you want to call them came out um I kind of walked away from the game at that point. It was it, it, life got in the way, and the game became something I wasn't really interested in. Um, I got back into it because of organized play. I it, the encounters program got me back to D and D, and I now run encounters program for my local friendly gaming store, and I run a four E campaign for the last two and a half years, and I've been playing a little bit of D and D next. That's awesome, and I am your roundtable host, James Intricasso. I have been playing D&D since I was about 10 years old, started with 2nd edition, and I uh, have continued up with 3rd, uh, 3.5, played 4th. Uh, I met Topher playing 4th and then organized play events, and, uh, and now I am running a blog and this podcast. Uh, so that is where I am currently no organized play in my life. I am sad to say other than at like an occasional convention or that kind of thing, but that's because game stores here in the district of Columbia close very early on weekdays and, uh, therefore their organized play events happen around like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I like to imagine in Washington DC that there's a bunch of politicians who have late night gaming sessions that we just don't ever <laughs> see in the media. That's right. And they all, well, they live together because uh, rent and property value and stuff is very high here in DC. So they all live together. So you could imagine that there's houses of senators and congressmen uh, gathering around the table to roll some dice. So, <laughs> uh, so guys, you both have a lot of experience in the past and now in the present with organized play. And that's why I have called you to the roundtable today. We want to really want to talk about what's happening in organized play right now, what's going to happen in the future, what the experience has been in the past. Uh, specifically, I think that one of the big things we want to touch on is the encounters program. I think that's one of the big organized play events D&D is really known for. Um, and so why don't we talk a little bit about the past of organized play. In the past, encounters, particularly the recent past, um, 
it was very easy. 4E was almost made for organized play and for the encounters program. It was very easy to set out like these very linear plot lines. Everything was on railroads. People could come easily get introduced to the game. I thought the encounters program with 4E was really solid. Everybody had a great experience, sort of the same experience. So if you met somebody at it from another game store, you could say, hey, we played the same thing last Wednesday, and it was all good. That was generally my experience with organized play and encounters in the past. Uh, has that been your experience, Joe? Um, for the most part, yes. Uh, we had a lot of uh, experienced players um, at, at sort of the height of our stores encounters program. It's gotten down. We have about maybe two to three tables steadily now. We used to have four or five, uh, but when we were when we were at the, at the height of our popularity. Um, the biggest problem we ran into was like encounters was only using the D and D essentials rules. And so people that wanted to play classes from other, uh, other books weren't, you know, they couldn't do that. And they, so there were, there was some quibbling over that sort of thing. But, uh, for the most part, yeah, I, I had so many new people come in and within 10 minutes, I mean, it took longer to find them a miniature than it did to get them a pre-gen and get them ready to go. Um, and they were, they were ready to role play. And it felt like, you know, here's a couple things that you can do uh, outside of combat. You know, here's here's a couple conversations you can have or people you can talk to, but the plot line is linear enough that uh, you'll get a relatively similar result. And then here's the combat and there you go. So yeah, uh, for the most part, it, it, was, it was easy enough to DM uh, as a every Wednesday drop-in kind of thing. I didn't feel like I had to spend my entire week preparing for it, uh, unlike, you know, DMing a home game or something. Uh, so it felt really convenient for me. Topher, same question. How has your past experience been with D&D Encounters? Well, I got to agree with both of you guys. It, I think it was set up in a way with 4th Edition that it was made to sit down at the store for two hours with some people and play D&D. Uh, I, you know, obviously, as, as I said, uh, in my intro, I got back into Dungeons and Dragons because I went to an organized play and played in Encounters, and I got hooked again. You know, it filled that need. I had a family and I have a job, and so, but for two hours every Wednesday, I could sit down and play D and D, which was really kind of rock and roll. And I also think that I think I DM today because of Encounters. Mm. I wasn't quite ready to be. I didn't think I was quite ready to be a DM, mm. but because the original Encounter program was set up to here, read this this page and a half, and now sit down and run it. And oh, by the way, if you don't know the rules, there's probably somebody at the table who knows it, or you can mm -hmm. just tell a story to get around it. And so I just I don't know. I um at the at the gaming store I, I am at now, we get a lot of returning players. So they played third, maybe three five, but they never played fourth. So mm -hmm. the 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 uh, aspect that it was essentials wasn't that big of a deal because to them it was all fourth edition. Right, right. Right, it's one that big addition. I mean, to this day, we still use, you know, those cards they gave you for the, for the pre-gens in the old Essential Package? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I still have a stack of those that I still use to this day to hand out to new players. And they sit down and they play. And I can't tell you the amount of time that they'll come up to me and go, because you know, we always say afterwards, hey, listen, if you really had fun, stick around. We'll open up our laptop. We'll use our, you know, we'll create your character. And I can't tell you, they mm -hmm. walk up and hand me a card and go, I want to play this guy. Can you create this guy? <laughs> and so I'm, you know, desperately trying to recreate um, that guy in, you know, in character builder. But yeah, I think that I play D and D today, and I DM D and D 
Feeney today because of how great the Encounters program was. Well, and I think the fact that Encounters can create DMs is a very interesting point that I have never heard brought up before. Yeah, it's used as a gateway for players, and that's obviously one of its main purposes, but I never thought before that, yes, it's very easy prep, it's not intimidating, and DMing is a big intimidating task, I think, so for that gateway to be there is is also really excellent. Were there any sort of cons you guys found with 4th edition? The only thing I found was that at times it felt a little too railroady. You know, it would be like this, you know, the adventurers have to defend this guy, but he's definitely going to die because that's going to be the catalyst for them to finish the rest of the quest that we have planned. Sometimes it did feel like it was a little too on the rails for me. Did you guys have that experience? Um, well, there were there were times where I had cantankerous players who wanted to kill NPCs that were important to future parts of the plot. Mm. Uh, especially, <laughs> especially during the, uh, the Lost Crown of Neverwinter, there's a, there's a particular NPC who ends up being the secretive super soldier uh, lost uh, mm. heir of the crown that if you're at all familiar with you know, sudden but inevitable uh, betrayals, <laughs> you might you might want to you know not not take this person uh, at their word or 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 find other other ways to uh, keep that person you know at arm's length and so it, it was difficult sometimes to try and uh, try and keep the the plot as it was supposed to happen uh, going forward um, but uh, overall I mean the railroading uh, most times it was something that was justifiable or i tried to find in-game ways to justify it um and my favorite my favorite trick for making railroading seem like it's not railroading is rolling dice behind a screen ah, like, oh well it nice. looks like uh this is what's happening now uh you, know, <laughs> you, know, the, you guys got no you it uh the monster was able to push you this way and now you're falling down this pit i guess you have to go to this next area you know huh. that is no that's a good point and it's true i think that in some ways for encounters to be what encounters is you need that railroading, you know? Yeah. Uh, Topher, have you had similar experiences? Well, I think you, I mean, again, you guys are right. There was a railroad aspect because there had to be, you have to get from point A to point B. And by the end of the thing, by the end of your, however many weeks it was for that season, you had to be at a, at a, at a stopping point because the next season was starting the next Wednesday. Right. So right, right. there had to be a level of railroad. The biggest complaints we got, I've heard from players that both the stores I've run and played at were either A, Wizard came out with a new product, so that's the characters you have to build for this season. Uh-huh. Right? Let's, you know, we they did it for Shadowfell, they did it for Feywild, they did it for Neverwinter, they did it for the Drow, you know, oh, it's just a party of pixies in the Feywild season. The party oh. of pixies. Oh my god, it made me want to stab my eyes out. Um <laughs> But the other thing was is that these a lot of these guys and guys and girls who played this was their only D and D, so they got attached to these characters, mm. and so they would stop playing this character on. They took it from level one all the way to level three or four, whatever that season was. And then one Wednesday, randomly, we have to tell them, "I hope you enjoyed that. Next week, bring a brand new level one character." Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's this was true. The, unlike us, who play in games outside of encounters. This was it. This was D and D to them, and so. You know, we took some of the later seasons and we took and said, okay, listen, we're going to start at a higher level. If you want to bring your character, you can, just because they were really clamoring for it. 
we've started doing that recently um, now that Encounters is kind of off the tracks uh, and, and less, uh, a, a little less structured than it used to be uh, in terms of back in the, in the early seasons, you would get, um, you know, you, you'd get custom dice, which you still get uh, on occasion, but you'd get special uh, cards that you could hand out after people made certain benchmarks of, you know, every time you show up at a game, you get so many renown points and things. Yep. And they had all these different ways of tracking everything. They've kind of stopped doing all of that because that's extra money that they don't want to spend on the encounters program right now as they're prepping for the new edition to come out. Um, but, uh, so as a result, we've kind of taken the the initiative and and started customizing adventures so that um, the current season that I'm in is running for levels four through six, and people can use characters from the previous two seasons that got up to level three if they wanted to. And then the next one, when they go off to uh, Dead and Thay, which they just put up on the website today, we're going to run that as level seven through nine and see how it goes. You know, and. The potential problem with that is that if you get a brand new person and you throw a character that has ninth level powers at them and all these different other options, it might be confusing. But I, I have a little more faith in players, and I think they can. I think they can figure it out. So we kept a first level table, even when we ramped up. We had one table with one DM who, no matter what, was running from the beginning. So if somebody brand new walked in the door, they we put them. We put them at that table. Well, and that's, I think this is actually, this is a great point to uh, transition to the present. And I, those are really smart ideas. I hope people are integrating them into their organized play um, because keeping a level one table is great, especially if somebody comes like a midway through an encounter season and, you know, people are at that second or third level. I think that can sometimes turn them off because it's oh, the overwhelming the amount of powers and abilities and spells that a, a player may have. Uh, let's talk about this next season of Encounters and the current seasons that sort of started with Murder in Baldur's Gate and uh, have continued on. Seems like for D&D Next, they are sort of throwing out a bunch of different kinds of adventures to see what people take to. And they're trying to figure out, it seems to me like, the best way to run a sandbox style adventure uh, using encounters. And I don't know that encounters lends itself great to a sandbox style, which may be different actually than it lending itself to next or not. Uh, what are you guys thoughts on this current season and what adjustments have you made to deal with sort of the more fluid nature of encounters this season. Uh, and Topher, let's start with you. I think that they lost the original site of what encounters should be. Uh, I, I, I I think that the original concept of somebody could show up at the local friendly gaming store with nothing, sit down at the table, the store lend them some dice or the DM lend them some dice and a pencil and hand them a pre-gen character and they could learn to play D&D for two hours. It's kind of gone. Mm. And the idea of being able to jump in and out you know, like, oh, well, I can't make it next week. Well, you know, that's not really going to ruin anything because, you know, that it's set up that way. That's, I think that's gone also. I'm having a really hard time finding DMs because like, you have to have an experienced DM now. Yeah. You can't, can't, I can't put a, a guy who's played a bit and has, and has a little bit of interest and hand him the adventure and say, here, read these three pages and sit down and run and kind of watch and see how he does because you, you have to basically learn the entire uh, adventure. You have to, you know, to be able to play. So I'm having a hard time getting DMs. 
And I have to say, I mean, I love Wizards of the Coast. I really do. I, I love D and D, and I love the product. I'm a little perturbed D and D next on me when it hasn't been officially released. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Give me one more season of four slash five slash three five or whatever, like they did the last couple seasons. But this season, with the fact that there's no four E stats, and as a DM, I have to go find them myself. I find out I'm a little perturbed with that. It's it's. Any any lip service they're giving is still supporting Forey went right out the window with me. Yes, and I think it's funny. It's I'm glad you bring that up because I also think that Murder in Boulder's Gate and Legacy of the Crystal Shard, like you said, they were three, five, four, and D and D next ready adventures. But I do think that if you were playing four in those, it still didn't really work out all that well because resource management in four is so different than it is in three, five and next. I I have a lot to say about that. Actually. Um, My store asked me to rewrite the last four seasons or so as four E centered encounters centered uh, adventures instead of the sandboxy thing that they were offering uh, because we wanted to have consistency across tables we wanted to have people leveling up at the same time we wanted to have an understanding of when you got a short rest when you got an extended rest um and the the products that they were putting out while occasionally they gave you stats for 4e monsters they just weren't really uh they weren't really lending themselves to that and so uh what i ended up doing lost a lot of nights of sleep trying to read through through these adventures because frequently they would put them out and you'd be expected to run that weekend with the first adventure. Uh, you know, you'd have two days or so to get through it, but uh, I would try to find the, the salient points of what's the plot that needs to happen here and, and kind of, you know, map it out, do a, do a little uh, flow chart and uh, all right, which things need to happen? How can we get from here to here to here? How can the players feel like they're getting the same sort of, uh, experience that a lot of other people that are experiencing the story are getting but still keep it all consistent keep every table telling the same story so that if you know this week uh these people are at somebody else's table they're not going to have a totally completely different uh experience than they did the previous week and so uh i've actually uh yeah basically created 4e versions of them and and not you know not that i'm selling them or trying to take wizards products or anything and of course i always uh, would prefer that that people, you know, give wizards their business. Uh, although that is another point I'd like to make about encounters. Is it used to be something they gave to stores and DMs for free, and now anybody can just buy it, and uh, you're supposed to buy it. And uh, stores are still given a free copy, like a free PDF copy that you have to print yourself, and you have to uh, kind of do it all. It, it, it's less money that wizards has to spend but more that the people on the front lines have to spend and i really think uh gaming stores and the dms at gaming stores uh should be appreciated a little more and i'm I'm not not that i you know i'm not a a wizards of the coast hater or anything but i do feel (laughs) like we've been uh abandoned in certain ways uh as this is going on and so some of us have picked up the slack, and uh, I've started creating these 4E versions. Uh, and actually, a number of other gaming stores got in touch with me and said, "Hey, could we have that thing you're doing? Could we have that?" So, so there's kind of a, I don't know, not it's not really a black market trade because, like I said, there's no money, but it's just you know people that want to uh, present these next only adventures to a 4E crowd. Uh, 
are, are trying to do that, and and hopefully they can use my tools to do that. So, well, Joe, um, I, I, I want to say from DMs across the country, thank you for the kind of stuff that you and the community put up on the on the on the net for those of us who are running at stores. I think without you guys doing what you're doing, I don't know that we'd still be running the way we are. And I'm sorry, I want to say one more thing about what you said about the stores. I don't know if I owned a, a, a friendly gaming store today, if I owned it, what incentive I would have to run encounters at my store. I have no product, new product on the shelf to sell from Wizards. Oh, D&D. especially with the PDF things, because yeah. there's nothing, they've taken the gaming stores out of the mix. Yeah, so I don't know if I if, if it was my now. Luckily, I got an owner who rocks and has stood by encounters and has told us that you know, even when we when there was the hard product that we had to buy as DMs, he bought one for every one of the tables and gave it to the DMs as gifts. And we, I have a the guy who runs the store is great and really wants to foster the um, community. So, but I don't know what he's getting out of this now. Yeah, I'm sure people are buying some comics and an occasional dice and stuff here but there's no new D stuff to buy yeah my store has had to start um basically charging for events that they do in their space so you you pay and they they it, it's not just you pay five dollars to play it's you you pay five dollars to get a certificate to play and then you can use that certificate later as a five dollar gift certificate for store merchandise so they're making sure they're selling their merchandise uh to people that are playing, which is great because, you know, you get enough players that, that want to buy miniatures or whatever else or, or sodas or, or snack food up in the gaming area. But, uh, yeah, finding ways to monetize this uh, after Wizards sort of uh, pulled the rug out on the, the physical products, uh, really a difficult... Uh, I, I don't envy my, my game store owning friends, and I, I love that they're all still doing what they're doing, but it's not like gaming and comic stores make tons of money as it is so <laughs> any, any source of income that they take away is is not cool we've been doing the same thing we've been running a raffle so it's a dollar to enter you everybody can enter one dollar per time they're there mm-hmm. and the winner gets um it works out to about 40 bucks as a store gift certificate oh so that's kind of our way so our the guy who runs the store has said flat out he's not going to charge so that was our way of making sure that money got put back in the store. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do second place gets like 20 and the third place. We usually have somebody, either myself or one of the other two guys at DMs, usually have some shrink wrap still on the shelf product that we've never used, like <laughs> a season three module or something that we give away to the third place. But, yeah, that's our way to get money back into the stores. We do a raffle and um, and buy a, a store gift certificate with it. The thing about the PDFs only is is really annoying, and it is really unfair to the local friendly game stores. And I also think Wizards is really doing itself a big disservice. Like you guys said, it's not. It's certainly not DM friendly. So it's no longer a gateway for new people to try DMing. And it's really not a great gateway for new players either, which this is the time, right? This is where Wizards, when you don't have a lot of product, this is when you want to hook people so they're hungry and ready to buy those three books when they launch, you know, or spend the possibly rumored $150 on three core rule books, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and I think I think you guys are right that it just feels, going over the adventures, the adventures are not, that great to play even not as encounters like i've played through 
uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard and Murder in Boulder's Gate. And they take a lot of reworking to even be fun, like sitting around a table with your friends, you know? So let alone with a group of strangers who's constantly changing, some of whom are new, some of whom are not. I can only imagine the challenge that would be to run a game like that. You know, well, and you know what else is a problem with it is the fact that they're trying to tie it into this sundering thing, which is which is a huge okay. The worlds are going to change just like they did with the whatever they called it when second ed turned into three point five, or when first ed turned into second ed. They've they've always had something big happens to change the world uh, narratively, and then here comes a new rule set. Um, but the fact that these encounters adventures are tied to the sundering, but you're using level one through three characters, so they can't really do anything that will affect anything going on <laughs> with the Sundering. I mean, Murder in Baldur's Gate is basically about a bunch of people dealing with the fact that the god of murder is coming back and and manifesting in the world again. And there's nothing the PCs can do about it. And if they're not paying attention, they won't even know that it happened. And so in rewriting that one, we had to even put in a bunch of like, oh, here's an undead who's talking about how great it is that the murder god is coming back and threatens the players and, you know, finding ways to get that that into the narrative of, of, the, of the adventure more so that the players felt like they were involved in it, like they had something to do with something going on with it. I mean, and if you go to the wizard site, it says, oh, uh, players of, of the Sundering can... Uh, can let me see what is it who participate in this season of encounters continue to impact the fate of the forgotten realms by reporting your, the results of your game through the sundering adventure chronicles and the sundering adventure chronicles for baldur's gate the the, the choice was which of the three groups did you choose to ally with that's how you mm-hmm. impacted the fate of the realms was by deciding whether or not the thieves guild or the soldiers or the priests were the ones that were a little more prominent in the story about a servant of the murder god rising. Like, it, it, you know, it, it just felt really forced. And, and so the players felt like, well, hey, this all happened no matter what we did, and we didn't have any impact on anything. And so I yeah. think the fact that they're forcing it into the Sundering makes it, makes it harder for people. Yeah, but they're Absolutely. not really. <laughs> so I've read the books. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I like the books. The books are really tell a great story about the gods reawakening and the reversal of, of the spell plague and magic coming back. And if you dig this world and dig this game, it's kind of cool. And mm-hmm. the Crystal Shard was – there was a lot of direct tie-ins with the Crystal Shard and the Companions, the first of the Sundering books. Right. But this season, which in theory should tie in with the second of the Sundering books, has a passing glance. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's a oh by the way we're going to mention this random god that is happens to be in the second book which the second book's about but we're going to mention it once in the in in the entire season so it's like come on yeah yeah you guys are you're both right and it's also I find that. I almost wish that if they wanted to bring out adventures tied to the Sundering, they put those out but didn't make them Encounters adventures. And then they put out separate adventures for Encounters because I find that, especially if, again, this is supposed to be a gateway for new players and for people learning a lot of rules for a new edition, even if you've never, you know, even if you have played D&D before, 
but this is your first time playing D&D next and the rules are half completed and complicated. Like these adventures were pretty complicated. There's a lot happening in Baldur's Gate. And if you go through this gate, there's a toll and there's these factions and these guys are doing this and there's a bunch of different gods. And oh yeah, there's this other God who was a dead God, but you need to know the story. You know what I mean? Like all of that complicatedness to be crammed into these adventures uh, I think doesn't give the players a lot of agency and makes them feel really lost and confused. And if you're not there one week, you're going to have no idea what the heck is going on. It, it doesn't seem like a great way to jump in at all to me. And it, I wish they had like said, okay, these are the realms adventures to buy for experienced DMS. And if you care about the realms, Here's a way to be part of that story. And then they wouldn't have to always be so low level and you could have gotten more involved in the epicness of the story as it went on. And oh, by the way, Encounters is going to continue being a fun two-hour jaunt that anyone can jump into and uh, you know, we'll continue to all sit around at tables at game stores together and give away products and that kind of thing. Would have been great. It didn't dawn on me till till we started talking to this, but it's almost like the current encounters they tried to take the concept of encounters and the concept of the living realm and match them together oh yeah yeah you're right you're right well and they've said that right haven't they said that at release forgotten realms is going to be available for people to play in that's sort yeah, of that'll be the default setting yeah. which is fine which that's not surprised to anyone is it no, no, I don't think that's been the rumor for two and a half years now, it seems. I want Blackmore. <laughs> uh, well, and that brings us to uh, to the future of D&D encounters and organized play. What would you guys like to see in the future once this full edition is completely available for everybody? What is it that you want to see? Like, what's the ideal way for encounters to happen? Uh, and Topher, let's start with you. Uh, I think that it, it needs to, I would like to see it go back to something like it was, especially with a new edition, where not only are the players learning new rules, but the DM is also learning new rules. Um, I was really happy to see that um, Tyrant of Dragon is going to be a standalone product. I would like that for the first couple seasons, where I, I don't have to drop $150 to sit and run a game at my local friendly gaming store. I can pick up a single thing and have all the rules there that I need to sit down and play and run. I would love for it to get back to that. I think, I think Wizards is missing a huge opportunity, especially getting back to new players. And I, I understand from a cost point of view that really what they're trying to do is put a single product out that serves two masters. It serves the people who want to run at home and the people who... Uh, are doing encounters and i'm sure they have data that says that people who didn't play encounters programs wanted to buy dnd encounter modules i understand all that but i think they need to go back to the way it was in the beginning that's just my that's that's what i would love to see that would make me a very happy dm yeah joe um i would like to see related to dnd encounters i would like to see lair assault come back in addition to dnd encounters because i felt like if Encounters was the beginner, learn the rules kind of thing, then you had something like Lair Assault, which was for the hardcore people that wanted to really try a life or death scenario. you know. And then you've got Living Forgotten Realms uh, for, for sort of a longer 
character arc kind of thing. I'd like to see a variety of different organized play options uh, so that, I mean, they, they talk about next, the, the, one of the keywords is, is the, the idea that it's it, universal, you know, it, it, will, it will appeal to every type of gamer out there. And I think that's a laudable goal. I don't know if that's technically possible. I don't, you know, you can never please all the people all the time. Um, but I think that from a practical standpoint, if they continue D&D Encounters with D&D Next, there have been so many different talks about different rules, modules, and options. They're going to have to hammer it down and say, these are the options that are available for D&D Next, and that's it. And I think if people are going to want to try, okay, we want to do it with a different type of healing or with a different magic system or a different whatever, there should be other other uh, settings, other organized play options available where people can try that out. Um, but I think from a practical purpose, you would need to have a pretty base set of rules uh, that everybody uses for uh, encounters, just so that, like with, with the current seasons, if people go table to table, uh, they'll have the same experience. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if, we, if they had something like the um, Living Worlds, like Living Greyhawk or Living Forgotten Realms, that was, that was A, easier to get into, B, yeah. easier for the store to run, and C, allowed more experience players to try out all the different quote-unquote modules and keep a character longer but right. still have that shared experience that'd be that's fantastic awesome. i think it's the best of both worlds man i would love that yeah and i think that's possible i don't i don't think that's out of reach you know i think it's easy to do um you just need to adjust your thinking a little bit about encounters and certainly adjust the way things are happening right now and i think you could do that particularly if you encourage things like Lair Assault and a, ver a variety of activities and you said, even if you said, okay, encounters happens once a week and then we have all of these other things that are happening and maybe they can all happen once a week, but they happen once a month, you know, and they rotate out or that sort of thing. Just mm -hmm. so people coming to encounters can say, you know, I love coming to encounters, but now I'm ready for something else. I'm ready to join a campaign. I'm ready to try out Lair Assault. I'm ready to see what Blackmore is all about, you know? And, and then you have those options for players to go and do that. Seems cool to me. Definitely. So, I'd, I agree. Also, I'd also like to see, and this is kind of a back-end thing that most players don't see, but I'd like to see more open communication with the stores where these programs are actually going on. Um, I think that, you know, if you can get into the, the Wizards Gaming Network or whatever the, the name of the thing that the stores get their information from. There's not really ever that much more than is provided to the general public. And I think stores would benefit from being able to plan for these things a little more. Uh, the, uh, the big thing with the Dracolich there, the Vault of the Dracolich, that they did a huge thing at Gen Con and they also did it at all the stores at once. There was a mechanic where you were supposed to have multiple tables and if somebody at one of those tables did something, they would teleport to a different table. And huh. no gaming store was prepared to run that because it was just insane. And the idea of, of trying to organize a bunch of different tables and then have different players swapping around and, okay, now you're stuck with these people. You can't be with your friends anymore. And now you're over at this table. And, that, like, it, it was crazy. And I think if... Uh, the people that were planning something like that. I mean, maybe it worked great at Gen Con. I wasn't there, but you know, it sounds like it would be a zany thing at a convention. Um, but I think if the planners had had some communication with the stores about that, they might've gotten the feedback that would have said, Hey, you know, we'd like an option not to have that happen at our stores because uh, 
it'll really disrupt things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I totally agree with you 100%. Um, you know, I, I think giving game stores advanced warning about stuff and, hey, this new thing is coming down the pipeline, again, can only benefit Wizards. It's not like game stores are going to go out and, you know, screw all the pooches and start giving away free info and that kind of thing. They just want to be prepared to do the best that they can to bring people into their store, you know, to so that they buy products and drinks and snacks and whatever else. Um, you know, so, so the more information you can prep them with, I think the better. I think one of the things about this organized play stuff that seems pretty clear if you look at the number of typos in products and things, oh, um, gosh. Is that they are up against a deadline like crazy, that these things are coming out at the very last possible second or going to, to publish at the last possible second. There was an early season, I want to say it was maybe season four, I think it was the Phantom Brigade season, where one of the maps, uh, normally the maps had one-inch square uh, grids on them, and it had like a three-quarter-inch square grid, so nobody's miniatures fit on everything. And it it was just clearly somebody decided to resize it to fit on a sheet so that they wouldn't have to use a second sheet. And... You know, but there there wasn't that kind of quality control. There wasn't a higher level person saying, "Okay, let's make sure this matches this matches this," and they all work together. Yeah, and I mean, it's that kind of thing. You want to see less of that, and you want to see more sort of professionalism because this is a thing people care about. This is something you're asking people to go to every single week, and it would be nice to to see that treated with like, "Hey, we respect your time and want more than your money," you know. Right. Um, because I feel like a shared passion is, is really what keeps people in the game and keeps them buying products over and over again. You want to keep them on the Ferris wheel of gaming. You don't want them to buy just one ride. So it's a little metaphor action for you right there. Hmm. Um, well, I'm excited to see what comes next. I mean, I know I've sounded really negative about a lot of things here, <laughs> but I really, I really am hopeful about, uh, where D and D is going. And when you, whenever you read any of the sort of high level, conceptual articles on the on the wizard site it it sounds like they're all pointing in the right direction i just hope that the final product actually matches what what they're what they're aiming at you know what they're hoping for and and uh i i can't wait to see it um i don't want to base all my opinions on the play tests because i know there have been drastic drastic changes from one play test to another um but i'm really hopeful and 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 i hope that uh they continue to support organized play programs because that's really a great way to keep people uh, involved. Yeah, I really want organized play to keep moving forward and keep being what it is. I think that it's kind of a great way to introduce just storytelling and role playing into into gaming. And I, I, you know, I wasn't around for the switch from three five to four, and I wasn't around for the move. I walked away shortly. Before the move from uh, advanced D D to advanced D D second edition, mm. um, and so I didn't see the move from two to three or three to five. So I'm excited to see a transition from one edition to the next and see how that all plays out. But at the same time, I want to be able to. I still want, and I hold this, and I will bend over backwards to make this happen. I want somebody to walk in off the street because they saw it on Meetup and have nothing with them and sit on the table and play D&D for two hours and walk away and go, man, that was cool. I want to do it again. <laughs> and right now that's hard, and I want to get back to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's why you guys are still doing it. And, you know, despite all the complaints that you may have right now in this transitional period, it should be noted you guys are working even harder to run encounters than you previously were. So it is important to you, and it is important that we get people there and we get people to love the game because we love the game and, you know, we want love to be poured into these experiences so that people can get love back, man, you know? Uh, and hey, we're going to have another edition war, so that'd be kind of fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So more edition wars. Look forward to that. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, Joe, where can people find you? Um, I do a blog called What the Average Joe Thinks on uh, my favorite local gaming store's website, which is modern-myths.com. Uh, I'm also, throughout the month of April, doing a... Uh, Every every day is a new letter uh, challenge at dungeonsmaster.com where we're doing uh, plot hooks related to each letter as we go forward. I think I just did one for well, it, I don't know when this will post compared to what we're when we're recording, but uh, I just did one on music that posted today, and I've got one on volcanoes coming up. Uh, you know, once V shows up, so excited about that. Ooh, volcanoes! Tune in, folks. Tune in. Uh, and Topher, where can folks find you? Uh, well, I've been apparently the slacker of this who's not writing or producing anything right now worthwhile. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, TopherATL or on Google+. I'm pretty, I try to be active on Google+. Same thing, um, TopherATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Gotcha, gotcha. And where is your local friendly game store if people are in the area and want to come meet the man, the myth, the DM? <laughs> uh, mine is in Smyrna, Georgia, Titans game games and comics um it's nice. the best shopping center it's a nice place good people yes yeah yeah that's i used to to game there some as well uh and how about you joe you're at modern myths right yes modern myths in northampton massachusetts uh it's a nice little college town so we get a lot of uh you know, when there's not a test we get a lot of college kids and then when when <laughs> midterms co- show up they all just disappear so <laughs> and if you're uh, not in any of those places go look up your local friendly game store and go support them check out some organized play it's a great time you will not regret it okay guys thank you very much for being on the round table today if you have a question for me or for one of these gentlemen you can reach out to them at their various locations they've just given to you Or you can contact me on Twitter. I'm at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And for a quick shameless plug, check out my new blog, which is all about Exploration Age, a fifth edition world that I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks to Joe Lestowski and thanks to Topher Kohan. And many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.